The title of our message today is The Importance in Giving. I kept on going back and forth between a few different titles. I was also wanted to do The Joy in Giving, which fits really well with Philippians. I also wanted to do The Blessings in Giving, but that's what we're talking about. How when we give, there's a blessing to it. When we give, there should be a joy in us being able to give and that it is important that we are open and give when people are in need. I'll tell you that from the very early days, I have not always done well on teaching biblical giving. It's one of those areas I regret. It's an area that I wish I could go back to and do over again. If I could go back to the first few years here at the church, it was such an opportunity, but I didn't see it that way. There were so many people raising money in such poor ways and misusing scriptures to raise it. If you guys can think back to the late 80s, maybe the early 80s, late 80s, early 90s, there were just all kinds of gimmicks taking place, manipulations going on. I remember going to, do uh, you guys remember the group, the power team? I usually don't give their name, but I remember going to the power team with my son. He was very young and they break bats over their knees and they break ice, you know, big ice chunks. They would break chains um, and then they would give a testimony. Well, at the end of that, they were ready to give a collection. Now, I think that any parachurch organization that puts on an event like that and takes a collection is a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. We want to, you know, the workers are worthy. They're higher. They're trying to pay their bills. They're wanting to reach more people. They want to be effective to Christ. So it's good for them to go. We have some needs. Here's what they are. We would love for to have you guys give. And we're going to pass Kentucky Fried Chicken Buckets around, which is what they did. And I have no problem with Kentucky Fried Chicken Buckets. But the guy read a letter. He read two of them. One letter was of a gal who had received help and um, was suicidal and she saw one of their programs. She gave her life to Christ and God is using her now. The other letter they wrote was a suicidal letter, a, a, letter, a suicide letter, a letter left behind by a girl who had committed suicide. Then he held the letters up and he said, if you give to our ministry today, you are voting for this letter. If you give, uh, if you don't give today, you are voting for this letter. It's one of the worst manipulations I ever saw in giving. And I had $10 out that I was going to give to the Kentucky Fried Chicken Bucket when it came by. And I put it back in my pocket. And my son, who maybe was eight, nine years old, said, Dad, why are you voting for the, the girl who died? So he, at a young age, had gotten it. And I said, I'll explain it to you later. <laughs> we'll have a good conversation about it later on. But now that I think back to all of the take the money out of your wallet, hold it up in the air. Now, when the agape box goes by, we're going to know if you're going to put your money in or not. When I think back to God told me 10 people are going to give $10,000 and I'm going to stay here. We're not going to move until we get each one of you committed to give $10,000. So you'd finally get 10 people who would, who would give $10,000 in the end. All of that is manipulation. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, I want you to have your money ready when I get there because I don't want to have to talk to you about giving it. He did not want to use any kind of manipulation. He wanted them to have it ready and prepared before he ever got there. And 
really, because of the times we were living in, it was such an opportunity to be able to contrast with what the Bible really says about giving and how they were misusing it. Today, I'm telling you stories from 30 years ago, but then people were living it. They were watching PTL saying that they were going to go off of the air every day. If you guys don't give crying, makeup running down their face, if you, and that was the guys, by the way, if you don't give, <laughs> I wish I was kidding, but I'm not. If you don't give, we're going to shut the doors. And I remember even as a, in my young 20s saying, don't tease me, stop, just stop. And it was so incredibly bad that when we came and planted the church, that's when we started the agape boxes and never passed an offering plate because people had such a distaste for giving because of all of the abuses that were out there. And I just got to say, there's enough passages in the Bible that we can really understand what real giving is about and how God wants us to give and how God encourages us to give. So here's what I would like us to do. I want to read this passage where Paul is thanking his friends a church he planted for giving to him in a time of need. Then I want to look at seven things that the Bible has to say about giving, just so we have a good understanding about it. And the Bible never uses manipulation. The Bible gives us the reasons that we are supposed to give. And so let's just look at our text. I kind of want to go fairly slow through it. In verse 14, nevertheless, he says, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. Now you have Paul in prison in Rome. He's under house arrest. I don't know how many provisions the Romans gave him. Probably not many. If you had the ability to be under house arrest, you probably had to come up with your own stuff. And so they gave to him out of his distress. I do know that Paul writes in 2 Timothy about how abandoned he was at the end of his life in prison. And it's really sad when you think about it, that he has so many people that minister with him, so, so many friendships that he's made. The church of Rome is there. They could have come and, and taken Paul under their wing and provided for him while he was in prison. But he says, no one shared with me in my distress. You guys did well to share with me in my distress. That wasn't much like Paul. Paul was the kind of guy that when he went into a, as a missionary into a field, he didn't want to take money from the people. He was a tent maker. He was like, I'll make tents for a living. And Paul makes references to it. I could have asked you, he says, but I didn't ask you because I, I didn't want anything to get in the way of the gospel. That's what Paul really cared about. And even when he collects an offering from the Corinthians, he says to them, may God multiply this offering that you're giving and I don't seek your offering, but I seek you. He doesn't want the offering he's collecting to get in the way of the love that he has for the people at all. So in verse 15, Paul says, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you alone. Philippi, uh, Philippi was the first city he stopped in. Lydia was there. She was down by the river, probably no synagogue there. That's why these Jewish women were meeting by the river. 
They, she's a maker of purple. They don't have a lot of money. They were they, the church at Philippi. A little bit of research. You can find this out was a much poorer church than Corinth and Ephesus, which were in, in, in areas of commerce and also a lot of, you know, they were in areas where the ocean, uh, the, the trade was, was right there and could really help them, but not Philippi. But even though they were poor, even though they didn't have a lot of money, they shared with him, he says, more than once when I was in Macedonia. He says, when I departed from Macedonia, um, Macedonia is northern Greek. You have Philip of Macedonia, who was the general or, or emperor of northern Greece, who was Alexander the Great's father. And Alexander took the kingdom of Philip of Macedonia and expanded it. And so he says, he goes on to say here, when I departed from there, no one shared concerning uh, giving and receiving but you only. So this was such a blessing for him because no one else did it. I do think that there are times when we think I'm not going to give because so many other people are giving where our giving really matters, that no one else is giving. In verse 16, he says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek your gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Again, Paul is like, hey, it was, a, it was a great blessing. It helped me. No one else shared with me, but I still didn't seek your gift, but I sought the fruit that abounds to your account. And we're going to talk about this in a moment. Why does God give us when we give? Why, why shouldn't we just give and go, it doesn't matter to me if I receive anything back from you, God. The right thing to do is give and I'm going to give. But here he says, I want the fruit that abounds to your account. Every time you honestly give to God or to a work that God's doing, I could even think that if you gave with the right heart and the right motive to a ministry that wasn't doing things completely correctly, I think that God would even honor your heart and your motive because that was, that's what matters most of all. Every time you do that, you receive fruit to your account in heaven. And I am blown away by that. That God allows us to be a part of the gospel. That God, God gives us our finances. God provides for us. And when we take from what God's provided for us and each one is according to your need, so that every one of us in here can give the same. If you make a lot of money, you give an amount, you make a little bit of money and you give a percentage of that, we can all give the same because that's the way that God sees it. God rewards you for your giving. Now, having said that, you can have your reward taken away. Somebody can steal your reward. If you're doing things to be seen by people, then God says, Jesus said, you've received your reward. When these guys would blow the trumpet before they would give in the temple, Jesus is like, that's their reward. Good job. You gave so much money. Churches today, and we could talk about some of the things that people do today that I think should be changed. You can buy, you can buy chairs or pews and have your name tag put on them. When a building is being built, you can build a room. You can, you can give the money for that room. 
And you can have your name. This is, this is now going to be the Robert Furrow prayer room. You can have your name attached to it. And, and if you do those kind of things, then that's your reward. Wow, Robert Furrow gave to build this, you know, this, uh, cry, this uh, prayer room. Th there, that's awesome. And God's like, well, there's your reward, Robert. Hope you like it because you just lost a lot of whatever I would give you that is up in heaven. So we've got to be careful that we, aren't, that we don't give to be seen. We've got to be careful we don't give with the wrong motives. But we give with the right motives. And I've got to think the right motive is they need help. I want to help them. That's the right motive. And I'm going to do this in such a way that people do not see what's done. And so he says, after telling, for even in Thessalonica you met them, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account, which is, ama again, amazing. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things that you sent. Now, we've talked about Epaphroditus bringing the gift and taking the letter back to them in Philippi from Paul. Epaphroditus almost died to bring this gift to Paul. But he says, I have everything I need because of what you sent. And then he says this about their gift. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. When you give with the right heart, when, when it's, it's really just your desire to do what you're doing, not for any, any um, selfish ambition. We're to do everything we do without selfish ambition. When we give, it should be altruistic. And that's a hard thing to do. We'll talk about altruism here in just a moment in, in relation to giving. It's a hard thing to do, but it should be. And when it is, it's a sweet-smelling aroma to God. And this is a play off the sacrifices that were given in the temple. You would go and you would give your sacrifice. There was a burnt offering. There was a sin offering. There was a peace offering. And they, all different portions of it were, were burnt. Some of it was boiled. Some would be given to the priest and some would be given to the family to eat. God would consume some of it on the altar. But the temple kind of smelled like a, like a barbecue place. It was a sweet smelling aroma, I think, to everybody. Now, sometimes the sacrifice was burnt to crisp. and Maybe that didn't smell so good. Once you get it past a certain point, it's like, ooh, that don't smell that good. But when, when someone's barbecuing down the street, you're like, man, wonder if they've got any leftovers I can go get. So our sacrifice to God is like a sweet smelling aroma when it's done with the right heart. When it's done with the wrong motive, it could be taken away. You don't receive anything. It's not a sweet smelling aroma to God. And then he says, and this is his encouragement to them. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. How, how much does he have according to his riches? How much riches does Christ have? He has everything. And this is connected. It's been pointed out that this verse is greatly misused. It's connected to givers. You can apply this to your life when you give properly to God. Also, when it says he's going to supply your needs according to his riches, that doesn't mean money. Maybe God knows that you have a greater need and that when you give, 
with a right motive and a right heart in a right way, God supplies your needs with his riches. Sometimes that may be finances. And, and we hear testimonies from Christians all over the place. I have some in my life where at a time when we needed something, God met us there with a supply that just blew us away, that we had the need and God met it. Sometimes it comes down to almost the exact amount of what you need or the exact amount that you prayed for. And God will do that. That's an important promise for us. And if you're going to use this promise, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, then know the context and know what it's talking about. Because he's not just saying that to anybody. He's saying it to people that have a sincere desire to come alongside and help somebody in their need, to help someone in their ministry. He goes on to say, then, now, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you but especially those who are of Caesar's household. So Paul in his evangelism had reached some of the household of Caesar. I don't know how he interacted with them, but in his time of being in prison and then in, in, under house arrest, he had interacted with them and they were coming to see him. The Lord, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now that ends the book of Philippians, a book that has been about joy despite the suffering of Philippi and despite the suffering of Paul. And a book that speaks against people who teach God never wants you to suffer. I'll say this again. We've said it over and over again in our study in the book of Philippians. God uses suffering for his glory. And if God is going to use my suffering for his glory, then I'm, I'm there. I'm willing. I would rather God use my glorification by him or whatever for his glory. But God uses suffering for his sake and for his glory. And that's a good thing. Now, let's take a few minutes to consider what the Bible has to say about giving. Uh, just a, a few promises. Uh, Jesus said it is more blessed that you would give than that you would receive. Now, this is in Acts 20, 35. Let me read it to you and I'll give you the background for this, this statement. Uh, this is Acts 20, 35. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. Remember the words of Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, you can go back and you can search the Gospels and you will never find that quote by Jesus. But that shouldn't shock us because John tells us there are things Jesus did and said that I suppose, so he's speaking in some kind of an allegory, that if, if all of it were written, the world would not be able to hold the books. It means there was a lot Jesus said and did that you would not be able to write, the books wouldn't be able to contain it. It's all the world wouldn't be able to contain the book. It's also been pointed out that since Jesus is God, maybe the world couldn't contain everything he's done. Maybe if there were books that had all of it, 
the world would not really be able to contain it. But it shouldn't surprise us. But what did Jesus say? It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So I want to ask you, maybe you're here now. Maybe you've been there in the past. We had a time in our lives where we had real financial difficulty. When we moved out here, I had, I had already had five businesses by the time I was 25 years old. The business that I had in Albuquerque was called Auto Improvements Unlimited. We did, we did upholstery. We did seats, carpet, door panels, um, dashboards, headliners. We did cruise controls, radios, pinstriping, um, side molding, if you remember that. Um, we would put in uh, sometimes T-roofs in cars and we would put in moon roofs. Those were really easy to put in and they were, they were pretty good money. Uh, so, but when we came out here, I had decided the, the, the business is making money and so I'm gonna keep it going. And I'll go out there and I'll bring a machine with me. And we did. And we, I, we went into a house with a garage and I set my table up and my machine, my whole shop, I set up in that house. It was up on Bark Street on the northwest side of town. We didn't know where we were gonna settle in Tucson. And uh, by this time, there's a couple hundred people that are going to the church and we have a, I hire a manager to run the business. Didn't need to know anything else except management. He had to be able to keep the books. He had to be able to, to schedule people and be able to be there when people pick their cars up. It's pretty easy. So he would get an envelope from our CPA that had a form in it that said how much we had withheld from our employees' taxes. We had between, that, during that time, 12 and 17 employees that worked for us. So we were withholding money from them. And so we came here and I would get the reports for where it was and I'd be like, well, we're doing better here than we were there. Well, send me $3,000, send me $4,000. Well, what I didn't know is that the manager wasn't filling out the form and attaching the check and sending it to the IRS. If you think the IRS gets mad at you when you don't pay your taxes, wait until you collect money from other people and then don't pay it. We owed them $17,000. By the time we found out about it, which I don't know why it took them two years to, to, to get it to us, but it did. We owed 56000 in penalties and interest in 1986. It set off the next decade for us of barely being able to make it. The church was going well. They were paying us well, but we had to pay that money back. They threatened, they threatened jail time. Do you guys remember John Castile? He was at Grace Chapel. So when we first came to town, John was a good friend of mine and we were delivering newspapers to help pay for our kids' school. We wanted them to be in a Christian school, so we were delivering newspapers to do that. And so Calvary was, at that time, the same size as, as Grace Community. And I pull up to the church and I get the paper and I'm walking them up. And John Castillo comes walking out and goes, Robert? And I go, yeah. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm delivering papers. Aren't they paying you enough? Yeah, they are. I got other problems. <laughs> During that time, we, we, I would go down to the tire. Do you remember, guys remember CG Tires? I don't even know if they're still around. CJ Tires, I think it was. 
I would go buy tires that had a little bit of tread on them to replace the tires on my car that had no tread on them to be able to go maybe a few weeks before I had to go buy another set of tires that had a little bit of tread on it. Now, I'm not complaining because God was doing something inside of me during that time. God was doing a work inside of me. I just know what it's like to be in the place where you really are struggling. You're really struggling to be able to make it. And that here, I'm trying to remember my connection now, which I know was a good one. It was a good connection why I, why I was telling you this story. Um, oh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So a few things happened during that time where God met our needs. And I cannot tell you how blessed we were. There, there were a few times when people gave us something that was the exact amount we needed to pay a bill. And, and I cannot tell you how blessed I was to receive it. Praise God. God, I thank you that you are meeting our needs. Thank you, God, that you are meeting our needs. By the way, the end of the story, the IRS finally accepted an offer my, uh, compromise, offer my, uh, offer my, an offer of compromise. They finally accepted it. Uh, when I went in the first time to get to tell them I was going to do it, I wanted to do an offer of compromise because I could borrow $20,000 from my stepfather's account, which is nice for a stepfather to do that. Uh, and we could pay off the 56,000 if they accepted it. And the guy told me, why would I do that? You're 32 years old. You're 32 years old. You got the rest of your life to earn money. Why would we do that? So then I got a mail about a week, a letter in the mail about a week later that said, if you don't pay more, then we're going to, we're going to throw you in jail from the IRS. And we were paying all we could. And so I went down to the IRS office and I waited for about an hour. And then I went up to the lady's desk and I put the, the letter on the desk and I said, I'm here, put the cuffs on me and throw me in jail because I can't pay anymore. So I was being a little dramatic, I know. <laughs> but she said, tell me what's going on. Long story short, she went to the back, got somebody else. They came back and they said, if you can wrap this up in two weeks, we'll accept your offer of compromise. And praise God, we got out from under all of that. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of God being able to bring things to recovery for us. But, you know, God takes us through difficult times for reasons. He wants to show us things for reasons. And um, here Jesus says it's, it's better to give than it is to receive. As much of a need as I had and as excited as I was during those financial difficulties to receive it, it's better, it's more blessed to give than to receive. We get blessings from God when we receive. Now, why would God do that? I think about this and I think, why, why wouldn't God just go, you guys are believers. You guys are supposed to help people in need. Why does God give us incentives to give? I got a couple of reasons. I'll go through these quickly. Number one, I think there are some Christians who are just immature. And God needs to give us incentives to give because we're immature. In Hebrews 5.1, the author of the book of Hebrews said, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you have come to need milk and not solid food. So I think that sometimes God gives us incentives because we're just immature and we need to give incentives to be able to give and be blessed. Sometimes I think we're carnal. I had someone argue with me one time that you can't be carnal and be a Christian. I told him your argument's not with me, it's with the Bible. Because 1 Corinthians 3.2 says, now this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. Now, brethren, could, uh, now I, brethren, 
could not speak to you as to spiritual people. By the way, they came behind in none of the spiritual gifts, he says in this letter at the same place. He says, but I cannot speak to you as spiritual people, but you are carnal as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food for until now you have not been able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. Paul had spent a lot of time with the Corinthians and he's like, you guys are carnal. And so God gives some motives to, car to Christians who are carnal. Let's stop being carnal. Let's stop being babies in Christ. Let's stop being immature. But I also think from the passage that we just covered, I don't think the Philippians can fall into the category of being immature or being carnal. Do you? These are mature Christians. These are spiritual Christians who perceived a need and God still blessed them, which that blows my mind. I can understand we incentivized our kids to do the right thing when they were young. Get to bed by eight and I'll give you, you know, a piece of candy before you brush your teeth, before you, you know. And it was, you know, we were doing the going the extra mile. I understand God doing that to get us to a place of maturity and spirituality. But it blows my mind that God does this. It's a blessing for us to give even when we are mature, that God gives us that blessing. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. The second is talking about the heart of the giver. He says in 2 Corinthians 6, 9 and 7, and this is the, the New Testament passage that helps us to understand the kind of heart God wants us to have when we give. But this I say to you, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He's not giving us those verses to appeal to our greed, but to tell us that we can be generous. He says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. This means I can't tell you how much to give. I, as a pastor, should never guilt you into how much to give. I should let you know the opportunity. You determine in your heart what you want to give to the opportunity. Just like we did with the, the crisis in the Ukraine. We gave you guys the opportunity. You did it. We didn't lay any, any trips on you. You did it as you purposed in your heart. It says then not grudgingly. Don't give to God grudgingly. Guess I got to give to him. Don't do it. Or of necessity. These pre preachers who are like, you're robbing from God. Yeah, that was under a theocracy in the Old Testament. We are no longer under a theocracy. We are not bound to tithe. It was never reinstituted in the New Testament. I understand that Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. I understand that was before the law. I understand all that. But the New Testament never, 10% is a good area to be in. It's a good window to be there when you give to God. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just telling you, when some pastor lays a heavy trip on you that you're robbing from God, if you're not giving 10%, then he's violating this very passage. Don't give out of necessity. If I don't give, God's not going to give to me. If I don't give, God's not going to help me. God will take care of you. You'll do, you'll do better if you give. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying God's not, God doesn't want it from you if it's out of necessity. It goes on to say, for God loves a cheerful giver. God gives grace to the giver, the Bible says. This is 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. So God's giving you grace and allowing you to have more so you can give. That's the idea of that text. God wants you to give 
And so God gives to you so that you will give. When you don't give, when God gives to you, you're not taking the grace that God has given you to give. But you don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't let me put a trip on you to make you give. You give because you want to. You give because you're excited to. You give with that cheerful heart. Number four, given it will be given unto you. This is Luke 6, 38. I love this verse. It's just been misused so much. Jesus speaking, given it will be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will men put into your bosom? For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What a great promise from Jesus. Do you think Jesus wanted to encourage us to be those who would give? What a great verse. The fifth thing the Bible says about giving is what direction is what kind of direction is given to those of us who are rich. I won't go deeply into this passage because I covered it deeply on this weekend when we talked about the rich young ruler. Isn't it interesting that we have Paul encouraging those who give to him on Thursday night and Sunday morning we had the rich young ruler. I love how God couples them together. I used to get annoyed with them because I think I just taught on it. Now I got to come up with something new. But I think God's doing it. God's like here and here and here, right? So in second, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19, he says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in the uncertainty of riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. He doesn't say sell everything you've got. He says be willing to share be a channel that God can use to give to you to give to them. God will repay. The sixth thing the Bible teaches us about giving is that God will repay those who give to the poor. God really wants to encourage us to give to the poor. So in Psalms 119.17, it says, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he will pay back what he has given. When, when you give to someone who is poor, God says, you're lending to me and I'll give it back to you. That's a promise from God because he, he cares about the poor and he wants us to care about the poor as well. Finally, don't do your financial help to be seen by men. Do it secretly. So your father who sees you secretly will reward you openly. And this is Matthew 6, 3 and 4. But when you do your charitable deeds, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deeds may be, may be in secret and your father who sees in secret himself will reward you openly. So when we had first started the church, I don't know, we had one or two agape boxes around the room. I think we had two, one on each side by the back doors. This is in the, ver the small mini chapel that's over on our other, other campus now. And I'm talking with people after the service and I notice a gal and she's being funny around the agape box. She's like looking around and I'm thinking she's going to grab it and run. <laughs> and finally she reaches in her pocket and she slides the money in and then walks away. So she was doing exactly what Jesus said. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand was doing. She didn't want to see anybody see her put it into the agape box. I don't know whether that's going too far or not. I, I got to think that God probably looks at that heart and goes, that's a good heart. She wanted to do God's word so much that she was willing to go to that extreme. 
Now, I don't know that we have to go to that extreme, but we don't give to be seen by men. That's, it's the motive that matters. We give because we see the need and we want to help the need. That's why we give. And all of these things help us to understand that we can be givers. And, and let me just say this again. I said it earlier, but I really want you to understand this, that if you're here and you don't have much, when you give a little, you have given as much as someone who has a lot and gave more. God sees what you give based on the percentages that you have. So you feel like, well, I can't give much to God. No, you don't understand God and his, and, and his economy. The widow gave two cents, everything she had. And Jesus watched people all afternoon give money into the box, into the box in the temple. And Jesus said, that woman gave more because she gave everything she had, two widow's mites, she gave everything she had and everybody else gave out of their reserves. And so don't think that you can't give and I'll encourage you, if you struggle and you're poor, you can barely make it, give. Be, be one who gives. You, see, you might think, well, what I'm gonna give doesn't make much, but God can multiply it. What did God do with the fish and the loaves? And Paul prayed twice in the Bible that their gifts would be multiplied. So God could take what you give and multiply it and do things you never could imagine if you just step out in faith and go, I can't give much, but I can give this. I have that dumb Aaron Neville song in my mind. I don't know much, but I know I love you. I can't give much, but I, I know I love you. It's a duet with uh, Linda Ronstadt, right? Am I right? How's that for information you should never heard in church? Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your love, your care, that you love us so much that you talk to us about giving so that we can have fruit that abounds to our account in heaven, that we can make friends in heaven with the mammon of this world. Thank you that over and over again, you said, give and it will be given unto you so that we can be generous and we can live that generous lifestyle. Lord, help other pastors, help us pastors, that we would not take advantage of these passages, but truly teach what they mean so that people would be finding and discovering the true riches that come through the pages of Scripture. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.